that. For reading, I want to do 17 through the end of the chapter. I do want to say a word, though. Just touched by a day to be with the Lord. And as I listen to that fella, isn't it interesting? We have somebody outside the United States coming to do North American missions that we call home missions. This is not the only place where God calls people to serve Him around the world. And I was just so moved by the fact, here this guy comes to clean the carpet, and that was part of God's plan to touch that whole city. Through this guy who knew everybody for all the wrong reasons, God turned him around for all the right reasons. And it's just so cool. I love God. He's so cool that he does that in our lives. But let's turn to a book of Jude, a little book just before Revelation. Verses 17 through the end of chapter, I ask you to stand in God's honor. But dear friends, remember what the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ foretold. They said to you, in the last times there will be scoffers who will follow their own ungodly desires. These are the men who divide you, who follow mere natural instincts and do not have the spirit. But you, dear friends, build yourselves up in your most holy faith and pray in the Holy Spirit. Keep yourselves in God's love as you wait for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ to bring you to eternal life. Be merciful to those who doubt. Snatch others from the fire and save them. To others show mercy mixed with fear, hating even the clothing stained by corrupted flesh. To him who is able to keep you from falling and to present you before his glorious presence without fault and with great joy. To the only God, our Savior, be glory, majesty, power, and authority through Jesus Christ, our Lord, before all ages, now and forevermore. Amen. Let's pray. God, we bow our hearts to you this morning. Lord, you know us through and through. You know what others don't see. You see it all, Lord. You hear what no one else hears, Lord. You know us. I pray this morning you speak to us, God. I pray that as we look at your truth, Father, you might take the spotlight of your Holy Spirit and just, Father, as you show your light, may we see the real picture there, Lord, and do what we need to do, Father to be obedient. I thank you for this church family. I thank you, Father, for loving us. Thank you for the privilege of serving here. And I just pray, Father, that you might show up today in a way we can't miss, Lord. We need you. In your name we pray. Amen. We live in an age of urgency. As I look around me and as I see the hurt And as I see the need, I'm I'm moved by a fact that there really shouldn't be a great surprise of some of the things I see outside the church. But I'm moved by the fact that what they need is what needs to happen in the church among us who are God's people, who are His children. And as we look here at the book of Jude, as Jude writes... Uh, he, he starts out, look at verse 3. He says, Dear friends, 
although I was very eager to write to you about salvation we share. He started out and he just wanted to talk about the love of Jesus. He wanted to talk about the gospel. He wanted to talk about the sacrifice of Christ and how there's new life and how there's a new start. I mean, that was his objective. But as he began to write, he was burdened. God led him a different direction. God grabbed hold of his heart and said, I want you to say this. I want you to communicate here. This is where I want you to connect, Jude. He says, I felt I had to write and urge you to contend for the faith that was once for all entrusted to the saints. You see, he had a burden. He he looked around him, those who were in the church, who were brothers and sisters in Christ, and there was error. There was some truth that, that was not being kept among the people of God. And uh, he was burdened about it. And thus God, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, moved him to, sh- to share these words with us, this letter with us, uh, because he knew for people to be touched by the cha- life-changing message of Jesus Christ, God's people have to be changed. God's people have to, have to follow him with a heart that sold out, like this brother came here from Africa, like Terry and Samantha, like so many that we love that say, God, I'm going to follow you. That kind of that kind of passion. And he, he thought about the faith. He said, contend for the faith. Made me think of the words of Winston Churchill during part of the darkest time in World War II. Things were bleak. And he gave this speech to the people to encourage them. And he got to the end of the, the speech. He said... If the British Empire survives for another thousand years, may we look back and say, this was our finest hour. And I thought about that, the charge in in my life and in your life. If those around us look at us, they say, that's Todd's finest hour. He really loves the Lord. He walks with Jesus. He's the real deal. This is the challenge. This is the charge. And as he talks about contending for the faith, you see, what we do comes out of who we are, which is tied to what we believe. As you look at many of Paul's letters, he starts out the first half of the letter, he talks about doctrine. He talks about what you believe, to nail that down. And then the second part of his letters deals with living out what you believe. You see, the two are connected. The two aren't meant to be separate They're meant to be together. What we believe determines how we live. That's the way it is. And I I just want to real quickly um, look at some fundamentals of what that means. When you say, I'm a believer in Jesus Christ, there ought to be some fundamentals to peg what that means. And I just want to try to quickly here look at nine of these. Number one is a firm conviction that the Bible, the scriptures, this is unlike any other writings, unlike any other book. Why? Because it's from God. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 and 17 says it so beautifully. Um, All scripture is God-breathed. 
comes from the mouth of God. This is not written merely by man. It's not human in its origin. God breathed. And he says it's useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. You see, it's imperative that our marching orders are here. Hey, if you change the measurement of an inch, you change the whole ruler. If, if, If you don't have a standard, which is the Scriptures, you begin to divert and make up your own truth. There has to be a standard. And and guys, our understanding of who Jesus is, His love, what it means to follow Him, doctrine, it comes from here. This book, because it's God breathed, it comes from the mouth of God. That's the first one. Number two is the deity of Jesus Christ. Colossians 2, 9 tells us that, that in Christ... The fullness of God dwells, lives in bodily form. John 1, 1, you know, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Uh, verse 14, he comes down there, you know, and it tells us that God dwelt among us through the Word of God, Jesus Christ, the Word living. The text uh, literally reads, the Word became flesh made His dwelling among us. We've seen His glory, the glory of the one and only who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. Jesus Christ is the living God. He's not just a good teacher. He's not just a moral man. He's God. The fullness of God. Totally, completely God. Uh, you have to believe, you know, that, that's just part of it. Uh, third is the virgin birth. Matthew... Um, Chapter 1, verse 23, it talks about the virgin birth. The virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. You see, God had a plan in order to bring forth the Messiah, in order to bring forth the the one who is anointed, the one who gives hope. There was a problem of a sin nature that could not be passed on. And and God took care of this through a miracle called the virgin birth where the Holy Spirit in a, in a supernatural way uh, with a woman, a child was formed. Uh, the virgin birth. Fully God and yet fully man. Jesus didn't walk around with a halo around his head. He, he was fully man. But that did not in any way diminish the fact that he's fully God. All right. Fourth, the creation of man, not not evolution. Uh, Genesis chapter 2 verse 7 tells us that from the dust of the ground, God breathed into the nostrils of a man life, and he became a living being. You know, as, as a man, I miss old Richard Coffey, but Richard used to say, from the goo to the zoo to you. Uh-uh. That's not the way it works. It's not from the goo to the zoo to you. God breathed life into the nostrils of mankind, made him, created him. God spoke forth and man was. God's a creator, guys. Uh, Number five is the depravity of man. Turn me to Romans chapter five. Two verses here I just want to glance at. Uh, Verse 12 of Romans five. Therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man and death through sin, and in this way death came to all men, 
because all sinned. You see, in that disobedience in the Garden of Eden with Adam and Eve, that was passed down. It says death through sin, and it came to all men because all have sinned. And then down in verse 19, for just as through the disobedience of the one man, the many were made sinners, so also through the obedience of the one man, the many will be made righteous. You see, the, the, the Scripture declares that all of us have a heart problem. We, we have an issue with sin. We're disconnected from a holy God. And, and that needs to change. There's no way around that. It's, 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 it's part of the foundational belief of Jesus. And then number six, the substitutionary death of Jesus. I love this verse, 2 Corinthians 5.21. What, a, what an awesome, awesome verse. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Hey, guys, it, it, it says that God took the one who was without sin to become sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God. They're the great exchange that happened at Calvary where all the sins, my sins, were placed upon Jesus Christ and what I got in return was His perfect righteousness before a holy God. He took my sin. I received His righteousness. It's His substitutionary death. There's no other way to heaven but through Jesus Christ. He is the only one who's righteous, who's holy. He's the only one that can give us life that is forever. Can't get away from that truth. Um, Next truth, number seven. Jesus was raised from the dead. The resurrection of Jesus Christ. Death could not hold Him. Man, I I love that. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, whole chapter that speaks of resurrection. Then you come down to verse 14. It talks about in verse 14, hey, if Jesus is not alive, if he was not raised from the dead, our faith is useless. It's worthless. It's futile. There's no reason for us to come together. No reason for us to meet. Then you drop down to verse 20. I love it. And he says, but he has indeed raised from the grave. Man, I mean, it's like there is no doubt about it. He has definitely, no doubt, completely true. He's alive. That's what it talks about. And then what else I love about it, if there's any question, you get down in 1 Corinthians 15, it says 500 other brothers and sisters in the faith saw it. It wasn't just one person. There were 500. I mean, you talk about a worship service. You talk about a, a party of the best kind. <laughs> that had to happen there. Jesus Christ resurrected from the dead. Uh, all right, uh, I'm almost through this part. A literal return of Jesus Christ. He's coming back. Uh, turn me to Acts chapter 1, uh, verse 11. Men of Galilee, they said. These were two angels that uh, came before them. Why do you stand here looking into the sky? This same Jesus who's been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. It was declared. Jesus is coming back. He's coming again. He will return. Uh, 
This is just foundational truths through the Scriptures. When you say, I believe in Jesus, guys, this is part of the package. He's coming back and our lives must live with that truth solidly in mind. And then just one more, and this is a hard one for so many to swallow, especially in our day of tolerance. And that is that God, for each of us, has said there's a place that awaits us for eternity. Freedom forever with a holy God or condemnation forever without God. Look, John chapter 3, verse 36. It's the last verse in the, the chapter, guys. John 3, he says, Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life, but whoever rejects the Son will not see life, for God's wrath remains on him. Boy, this is a stumbling block in today's culture. How can you be so narrow to say that God rejects you if you don't place your confidence and your faith in Jesus Christ? Man, that is narrow. How can you how can you believe that? It says here in the text, God's wrath remains on him. The one who rejects Jesus Christ, who does not believe in Jesus Christ, there's there's no hope of eternity with a holy God. No hope of heaven. It, it, you know, that's what the scripture teaches. That's what it says about Jesus. That's his testimony. Guys, it's not just words that are made up in a in a mean spirited church. It's 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 God's truth. It's what he shares. You know, it's black and white. It's it's heaven, hell, it's sheep and goats, it's it, it, it it's God. And you say, Well, you're you're so intolerant. Hey, the most intolerant people I see are are those extremists who try to shove their beliefs down. Kirk Cameron, you know, has been in the news recently, and he was on one of these talk shows. And they asked him if he believed in um, homosexuals being united. I don't like to use the word marriage because I don't think the two go together. But, but being united. And he said, he basically made the statement, you know, it's unnatural. And man, was he attacked. And he was nice in how he shared that. It wasn't being hateful. He was just sharing his heart. He was sharing his conviction. It's not that I'm happy about the fact that without Jesus, people are separated from God and monitoring. It's a fact that it's the fact. It's only by Him that there's hope. And as we look at this scripture, guys, uh, back in Jude, he, he marches through here and he's burdened. He's, he's burdened as he looks at what is being faced. He says uh, in verse 4, Certain men whose condemnation was written about long ago have secretly slipped in among you. They're godless men who changed the grace of God into a license for immorality and deny Jesus Christ our only sovereign and Lord. He looked around and he said, there's people that have slipped into the church and they're not teaching the full truth. They're not living lives that are holy, that are set apart for the living God. Their lives don't match up with their lips. That their duty doesn't match up with their doctrine. And he was burdened about it. And he said, and beyond that, they don't fully, completely believe Jesus is it. <laughs> Jesus is the way. He's the hope. He's the one. And then he goes down through here. Um, verse 5, he talks about those who were delivered out of Egypt. But later, uh, because they did not believe God, they did not trust Him, uh, they were de- destroyed, it says. And then verse 6, it talks about angels. 
who, who abandoned God and, and now they're kept in darkness, bound everlasting chains, uh, judgment coming at that great day. And, and then verse 7, it talks about Sodom and Gomorrah, judgment that came for those who, who turn away from God's direction. And then he marches down through here and he, he talks about woe to them. He talks about people who are, are not standing in truth, who, who are trying to slide in without standing firm. And he comes down here and he comes down to verse 17 here. And he, there's three words I want to look at uh, in the heart of this. Because I know I'm out of time about it. But the first one, look, it's, it's like this, guys. In faith, there's either erosion or there's growth. You only have two choices. Either you're moving away or you're moving closer. There's either erosion or there's growth. The first one deals with erosion. The first word here is remember. Look what he says. Dear friends, remember what the apostles of the Lord Jesus Christ foretold. And what he does, he gives a picture here in these next couple of verses of what it, what it looks like when people are not the real deal. When people are not in the faith. When he talked about faith, as I said earlier, he's not talking about how we believe. He's talking about what we believe, the faith. And I listed those nine things. There are things that are true. There are things that are faith. There are things that you can't debate. They're just true. You've got to believe. And he comes here and he says, remember, and I want to look at five things here real quickly. First thing he talks about, he says, they said to you in the last times there will be scoffers. What's a scoffer? It's one who... Um, is negative, who is critical, who is cynical, who, who derides. And what do they deride? They deride these truths. They deride the identity of Jesus Christ. They deride what's basic to the beliefs, the scriptures, the, 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 the truths that we hold so dear and that we follow. In 1938, there was a guy, he, he ordered a barometer. He always wanted to have a barometer. He got mad when it came because it was pointed. The dial was stuck on the hurricane setting. He said, piece of junk. He shook it. He got mad at it. He threw it down. He wrote a nasty letter to the company. And he went to mail it the next morning and went on to work. And when he came back, a hurricane had come through in his house or the barometer were no longer there. Why? Because the barometer was right. God is right. Jesus is right. These truths are right. And we have to, we have to stand for what's right and live for what's right. And there, so there are these scoffers. Um, Number two, there's a moral looseness. Look at the second part of verse 18. He says, who will follow their own ungodly desires. Any desire that leaves God out, anything that you choose to do, you would be ashamed of to do before God and His people. Those kind of desires, they'll mark people. Hey, their hearts are headed that direction. Um, Third one here, a divisiveness. Look at the first part of verse 19. Uh, it says, these are the men who divide you. Where there's not a unity, there's not a working together, but, but there's fighting. There's infighting among God's people. That's not meant to be. I had a teacher in college who used to always say, you can bump heads, but don't bump hearts. You know, our hearts start bumping. We can't get along. I, I talked to a guy a couple of weeks ago. I mean, we, we about had a revival out in the parking lot. We got talking about Jesus. We got all excited. And, and he said, man, you know, I have a dream. I would love to see like eight or ten churches around here just meet together and say, let's just go out. And let, let's just tell people about Jesus. And, and, and you know, and, and then we'll come back together and celebrate. And he said, I talked to some of the people at my church. I said, 
I said, man, I said, wouldn't that be cool to do? He said, but, but you know, the people are different, you know. He said, so, you know, you may go out there and you, you may talk to somebody that might fit in better in, in this guy's church than your church. Could you recommend them to go to that church instead of your church? And he said, the people are kind of, well, I don't know. And he said, well, that's probably why we don't have revival. Because our hearts don't really beat together. It's, it's, it's bigger than just Kingsway. It, it's a kingdom. And anyway, I gotta move on here. Time's up moving in it. Uh, they're humanistic. Look at the second part of 19. He says, uh, who follow mere human instincts. It's the idea of, I know the ultimate truth. It's about what I can reason, what I can think, what I can... No, it's beyond me. <laughs> it's supernatural. It's more than natural. It's, it's more so. Uh, and then the last one, it's void of the God's Spirit. Look at the last part of verse 19. He says, um, and do not have the Spirit. You know why these people don't live in the power of God? Because they don't have the Spirit of God. That's not to make up the strength of the body of Christ. Everyone's welcome here, but that's not the goal. The goal is to become like Jesus. The goal is to know Him. The goal is to to have our lives match up to what we believe. And, and, And see, there's compromise that happens. When our lives don't match up to what we believe, we change what we believe. So we don't feel so bad. All right, that's the first word. Now these next two words, I'm going to go through quickly. Um, The second word is keep. Look at verse 20. You, dear friends, build yourselves up in the most holy faith and pray in the Holy Spirit. Keep yourselves in God's love as you wait for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ to bring you into eternal life. Notice he uses that word, the faith, again. Uh, these basic beliefs that are so foundational. And he says, build yourselves up there, guys. And he says, pray in the Holy Spirit. You can't put too much emphasis on prayer. You can't put too much emphasis on spending time with a living God, listening to the promptings of His Spirit, being aware that He's with you, that He's guiding you, that He's leading you. God builds a confidence in you when that happens. As I listen to this brother from Africa, he, he felt God leading him to go to this uh, place up north in the United States. Terry and Samantha felt God leading them to believe. God, being in prayer and, 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 and just being aware of God speaking and leading and guiding and maybe asking you to do things that seem crazy and nutso, but it's Him. Prayer, and it, it builds up. And notice here also what it does. It keeps us not only close to Him, it keeps us in His love. Two things there. Number one, we need to be aware of His love because we're so messed up that we need to be loved. We need God to hug us. We need God to embrace us and to remind us that we're His because we've just, we're a mess. But the second thing is not only do, do, do we need His love in us, we need His love to go through us because, man, people need to hear about Jesus and not just with our words but with our lives. That's so critical. Um, that's what He does. La- last one here, mercy. Boy, this is the tough stuff. Uh, verse 22, He says, Be merciful to those who doubt, snatch others from the fire and save them. To others show mercy mixed with fear, hating even the clothing stained by corrupted flesh. The word here is mercy. There is a, man, there's a burden 
There's a burden for people who don't know the faith. Who don't know this book. Who don't know the one who wrote this book. Who don't know Jesus Christ, the living God, who's coming again. (laughs) They haven't placed their hope, their confidence, their faith there. And he says, guys, you you know, maybe they started out where they were moving toward Jesus. Maybe they were in church and and maybe their lives used to, to, it looked like they were reflecting God, but now they've moved away. And and, and what's he say? He he says, they matter. You need to be merciful. They're they're having doubts. If you love them, you got to do something. To snatch others gives the idea of confrontation, but we don't like confrontation. I don't want to know. You have to be kind of a nut to... I'm going to face confrontation and may hurt, have rejection. But but here's the idea here is that loving somebody means them privately, not to tell the whole world, you know, everybody in the church, but privately just say, man, I'm concerned about you. Where are you? What is happening in your life? I've noticed this about you. Are you walking with Christ? Where are you? What are you, what are you believing? And, and he says, you need to have that heart. You need to be able to, to share in that way, in, in mercy. And sometimes people just won't listen. As he says here, um, he's to snatch them from the fire, to save them, to show mercy mixed with fear. Why? Because to go away from God, guys, that is a dead-end road where there's no hope. And he says, stained by corrupted flesh. It, not to go there. Uh, look, turn me James chapter 5, verses 19 through 20. Uh, in the book of James, uh, my brothers, if one of you should wander from the truth and someone should bring him back, remember this whoever turns a sinner from the error of his way will save him from death and cover over. A multitude of sins. That's what we're talking about here. Someone has wandered away, and and the longing is, the desire is that he come back. And he says, "Man, to turn him away from the error of his way save, saves him from multitude of sins." That, that's the heartbeat. That, that that that's what he shares here in a world of fiction to make sure the fact is there, that the fact is is shared. And he closes here. He gives these last words, I believe, as a master encouragement because we are messed up. We are weak. And we need to know the living God is empowering us to do this. He says, to him who is able to keep you from falling. Thank you, Lord, because I have feet of clay. And to present you before his glorious presence. How? This is good stuff. Without fault and with great joy. That doesn't sound like me. But that's how Jesus works in me. To the only God... Our Savior be glory, majesty, power, and authority through Jesus Christ our Lord before all ages now and forevermore. Amen. That's the power. Um, As I close, I want to use an illustration that I thought of from a book um, called The Case for Faith by Lee Strobel. talked about difficulties, objections people have to Christianity, to believing. And he opens up in the introduction with the story of Billy Graham and a in his early years one of Billy's closest friends a guy named Charles Templeton Charles was 33 Billy was 30 
They were going on a preaching tour to Europe. They took turns preaching. Uh, God's hand was on both men. A lot of people thought Charles might have been the better preacher, you know. Um, God was doing a work. They became close friends. But Charles began to have doubts. He began to have questions about the faith, about what he believed. And there was a lady named Henrietta Mears who uh, was a Bible scholar, loved the Lord, and she was, you know, constantly uh, telling Billy, telling Charles about the truth, the validity of God, uh, of the scriptures, of Jesus. But Charles had these doubts, and he began to tell Billy about his doubts. And and really, Billy's head was starting to spin. He, He didn't know what to do. He didn't know what exactly to believe. And, and it was a conflict within him. And finally, Billy Graham came to that point where he just fell on his knees and he said, God, I do not have all the answers. But I'm just going to believe. I'm just going to believe in you regardless of my doubts and I'm going to place my confidence in Jesus. And he said at that moment, he he just sensed God's power upon him. And it was shortly after that um, that God began to open up his work in the Los Angeles Crusades. And and, and God began to move. Charles uh, Templeton, on the other hand, he decided he could not preach what he did not believe. And so he left uh, the evangelistic ministry. And he moved back to Canada uh, where where he was from, and he began uh, to write again for a a newspaper there. And uh, spoke really harshly against Christianity. became a real critic of the faith. Anyway, I just wanted to read just a couple of pages here at the end of this introduction because Lee Strobel went to visit Charles Templeton. He wanted to hear about the doubts. He wanted to know what happened how someone who could be used so powerfully in the faith to preach the truth and the word could deny and ridicule Jesus now. And, and so uh, he, uh, after interviewing him for a while, I pick up here, he says, Is there a God? How could anyone believe in a God who does or allows what goes on in the world? And so how do you assess this Jesus? Seemed like the next logical question. He says, but I wasn't ready for the response it would evoke. Templeton's body language softened. It was as if he suddenly felt relaxed and comfortable in talking about an old dear friend. His voice, which at times had displayed such a sharp and insistent edge, now took on a melancholy and reflective tone. His guard seemingly down, he spoke in an unhurried pace, almost nostalgically, carefully choosing his words as he talked about Jesus. He was, Templeton began, the greatest human being who has ever lived. He was a moral genius. His ethical sense was unique. He was the intrinsically wisest person I've ever encountered in my life or in my readings. His commitment was total and led to his own death, much to the detriment of the world. What could one say about him except that this was a form of greatness? I was taken back. You sound like you really care about him, I said. Well, yes. He's the most important thing in my life, came his reply. I, I, I... Searching for the right word. I I know it may sound strange, but I have to say, I adore him. I I wasn't sure how to respond. 
You say that with some emotion, I said. Well, yes. Everything good I know, everything decent I know, everything pure I know, I learned from Jesus. Yes, yes, and, and tough. Just look at Jesus. He, he castigated people. He was angry. People don't think of him that way, but they don't read the Bible. He had a righteous anger. He cared for the oppressed and exploited. There's no question he had the highest moral standard, the least duplicity, the greatest compassion of any human being in history. There have never, there have been many other wonderful people, but Jesus is Jesus. And so the world would do well to emulate him. Oh my goodness, yes. I've tried and tried as far as I can go to act as I believed he would act. That doesn't mean I could read his mind because one of the most fascinating things about him was that he often did the opposite thing you'd expect. Abruptly, Templeton cut short his thoughts. There was a brief pause, almost as if he was uncertain whether he should continue. Uh, but no, he said slowly. He's the most... He stopped and then started again. In my view, he declared, he is the most important human being who has ever existed. That's when Templeton uttered the words I never expected to hear from him. And if I may put it this way, he said as his voice began to crack, I miss him. With that, tears flooded his eyes. He turned his head and looked down, raising his left hand to shield his face from me. His shoulders bobbled as he wept. What was going on? Was this an unguarded glimpse into his soul? I felt drawn to him and wanted to comfort him. At the same time, the journalist in me wanted to dig to the core of what was prompting this reaction. Missed him? Why? Missed him? How? In a gentle voice, I asked, In what way? Templeton fought to compose himself. I could tell it wasn't like him to lose control in front of a stranger. He sighed deeply and wiped away a tear. After a few more awkward moments, he waved his hand dismissively, finally, quietly, but adamantly insisted, Enough of that. He leaned forward to pick up his coffee. He took a sip, holding the cup tightly in both hands as if drawing warmth from it. It was obvious he wanted to pretend this unvarnished look into his soul had never happened. Who is Jesus to you? Is he your life? Maybe there's somebody here you miss Jesus. You've lost something you once held dear. Someone you once knew close. Now seems distant. This world needs Jesus. And Jesus has chosen us. The way this world's impacted is when he impacts you and me. And Jesus contend for the faith. Guys, I, I, I contend and I challenge and I say to me and I say to you, be like Jesus. Let's pray. Lord, uh, here we are. We're at the end of this message, uh, Lord, uh, but we're not at the end. What do you want to do, God? Maybe there's somebody here who sees this is not kids' play, that Jesus is life and that these truths are fact and Father, maybe there's one here that wants to stand before the people of God and say, that's what I believe. That's who I trust. <laughs> and I want to cement it today. I, I want this group of God's people to know that's, that's me. If, if that's you, may you, at this time, we call response, invitation. May you just come and love to pray with you and, and just share with God's people. For others, uh, maybe you miss Jesus.
you would kind of remember him and you want that to happen again. The altar's open to pray. God, may you just draw us. Draw us, Lord. In your name we pray. Amen.